We remember every Christmas that Jesus came to earth. But like all humans, his mortal body was not designed to live forever. From the moment he was born, there had to be a time when he would die. And when he left the earth, there had to be a transition plan. While he was on earth, Jesus supplied all the energy, all the power, all the motivation for the mission. It would have never occurred to him to leave his disciples without the dynamism, without the power to continue the mission of God. They would need, after Jesus left, the dynamic power of God if they were going to continue the work of God after Jesus returned above. And so we heard the story read to us this morning. When the day of Pentecost had come, they're all in one place. Suddenly from heaven, there's the sound of rushing of violent wind and it fills the place where they are together. Divided tongues as a fire rest on them and they're able to be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. Then after all of this magnificent, miraculous display occurs, Peter stands and preaches. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this same Jesus who you crucified. And when the people heard it, they said, brothers, what is this? And, and, and what should we do? And, and, and Peter says, repent. Be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And this is the line I love. And for all who are far away, that's us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Now we celebrate Pentecost not because we got a gift. That, that's not what this is about. Last night, um, Nancy and I watched an episode of the old Dick Van Dyke show, okay? And, and in this particular episode, he gets a brand new car. They call it a tarantula. I don't know that model. But he's very excited about this new car that he has. It's in his driveway. He comes home. He tells his wife about it. And the thing that he's very excited about it is that his neighbors are going to see that he has gotten a new car. Right? And he talks about the status he will receive because he had a new car. And how he couldn't wait to show off his new car at work the next day. And, and his wife is sort of looking a little strange at him. And, and I'm looking a little strange at him. And I'm saying, doesn't he know that we get cars in order to drive places? That cars don't give status. Only in, I guess, certain people's minds. But cars, the gift of a car is the gift to be able to get to work, to travel, to buy the groceries, not to show off a car. And every once in a while in the church, people begin to treat the Holy Spirit like that. A credential to prove that we're okay or that we're special. But that's not what the promise was for. That's not what Jesus said to them. In Acts chapter 1, 4, Jesus said, while staying with them, 
He ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, these are Jesus' words, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power. You will receive power. And the Greek word for power is dunamis, right? And you know what word we get from dunamis, right? Dynamite. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what's the purpose? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The ability to do something, well, that is a special gift. Now, I understand there is much more that the Holy Spirit does for us. But today, I want to highlight the thing that Luke highlights in his story in Acts. Remember, he said, the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who, far, who are far away, for everyone to whom the Lord our God calls. And it says of Peter, he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them saying, save yourself from this corrupt generation so those who welcomed his message were baptized, and underline this in your Bible, and that day about 3,000 persons were added to their number. That day, 3,000 persons were added. 3,000 are added. Why? Why does it matter? Why are they added at this particular time? By whom were these people added? What did these 3,000 receive and and what does the holy spirit enable you to do i think to understand what the spirit is given to us to do in part because the work of the to limit the work of the holy spirit to one sermon is ridiculous right because the spirit is god and his work in the world is so multifaceted, we can't begin to speak all of it in a single sermon. If we preached every Sunday for a year on this, we couldn't exhaust what the Holy Spirit is doing. However, I'm going to attempt today just to highlight the thing that Luke highlights, right? The thing that's central to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one of the great examples of it comes just a couple other chapters later in Acts chapter 4. You know this story, and I'm just going to read a few of the, the verses to get it before us so we can consider it. While Peter and John, now disciples are going out, the Spirit's been given, they've been together. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came to him, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus is the resurrection from the dead. So they're annoyed that Peter and John are preaching Jesus as the resurrection and the life. So the priests, etc., arrested him, put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had already heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. So it's not a small work. The next day, Peter and John are in in prison. The rulers, elders, scribes, they assembled in Jerusalem 
And when they made the prisoners stand in the middle of them, they inquired, by what power or name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the peoples and elders, if we are being questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are being asked how this man was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Now, those are some powerful words in front of people who held Peter and John's lives in their hands, right? But the power of God to do the miraculous is also the power of God to witness to Jesus Christ. And so the rulers are confused about what to do. They have a little conference. They can't say too much because the healed man is standing there. Everyone knows he's healed. So what are they going to do? They're twiddling their thumbs, they're anxious, they feel threatened, and they say this to each other. What will we do with them? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We can't deny it. But to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them not to speak to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. These chief priests and scribes and elders think they're being quite clever here. They'll just like put the lid on the message. This is the attempt of the chief priests and scribes to hide it under a bushel. Peter and John say, no, right? This is what it says. But Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you'll have to be the judge of that. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. Can you hear what's resonating behind their words? We can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. We, we might even be able to choose to honor your words. We might even be able to choose to understand what you're saying to us. But the reality is we have been so changed by the power of God that everything about our lives is different. And we just cannot stop speaking about what God has done in our lives and about what we've seen and what he's commissioned us to do and the miraculous power expressed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can't stop. We might want to, we might know it would be in our best interest, that we would probably live longer if we did stop because you wouldn't be trying to kill us all the time. But the reality is none of that matters because we cannot stop. The change is so miraculous. It's so great. The dynamic power of Jesus Christ has transformed our life and everything is different. We can't help it. And I wonder... Where is the passion in the church for that kind of, I can't help it? Where is that today? I mean, we want our kids to, save, to be saved. And yet we have to wrestle with the fact that we know they have the right to live their own lives and to make their own choices, and we can't do a whole bunch about that. And so I think sometimes we get weary in our praying, and we lose patience, and we, 
we forget that Jesus saves, that our God is mighty to save. And we, over time, lose our passion and we forget. Some of us perhaps have forgotten the value of the gift of our own salvation. We've been Christians so long, we've, we've just become used to it. And we have forgotten the dramatic difference that Jesus makes in our lives. And we, and we start to take it for granted. And when we start to take the power of God for granted, it becomes less and less expressed in our lives. Do we no longer remember how important the change that was made in us really was? You know, one of the apostles writes that we should not grow weary in well-doing, but um, he doesn't write those words for no reason. Because after working year after year, it's easy to grow weary in well-doing. And you get to the advanced age of fill in the blank. And you say, oh, it's time for me to retire. This is somebody else's job now to care for others, to, to do this. And that's the problem with the Bible. There's no stinking retirement clause in it. There's none. You don't get to, require, you don't get to retire for being a child of God, thanks be to God, because you're going to need that status to enter the kingdom, right? And, and fortunately, everything the Holy Spirit asks you to do, he empowers you to do. The power is his. The instrument and the availability is you. And if the Spirit is in us, he will work through you if you will permit him to do so. We live in a society today, perhaps like never before, at least in American history, where the cost of sharing your testimony is higher than it's been, right? Um, say too much at work, you get fired. Say too much on social media, people will spiral down and shame you. It, it, the cost of speaking for Christ is, is higher than it's been. We know that's true. And, and we know the scripture reminds us that when we give an account for what Christ has done to us, we're supposed to do that kindly and gently, right? That's that, if asked to do that, our, our language is to be seasoned with salt, right? So we have to be wise. But being wise is different than counting the cost and deciding I won't pay it, right? They're a completely different thing. One is about approach and method, and that is guided by the Holy Spirit all the time. And so we have to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, that's, that's right. But that doesn't mean we don't speak. And that doesn't mean that when we count the costs of what it means to give a testimony for Christ, we decide, oh, that's too high to pay. Because that's not our call to make. The Holy Spirit is the one who presents the opportunities to us 
And when he says speak, we can count on him to supply the words, right? We can count on him to supply the opportunities. And we've got to then speak with boldness what he tells us to do. Now, boldness isn't the same thing as arrogance. They're different things. Boldness is having the courage to speak the right word at the right time under the authority and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Right? And you can speak that passionately because the Holy Spirit is the one speaking through you. Are we afraid to share because of what it will cost us? These are all different problems. They all require different solutions. But I would encourage you in these directions this morning. Remember the value of your salvation. This requires tending. You tend this by continuing gratitude and through praise, you stay connected to the vine and you remember how valuable your salvation is. And when you remember how valuable your salvation is to you, you recognize that it needs to be that valuable to every person that you encounter. The second encouragement I would give you is to tend your passion for the ministry of Christ. This is a matter of prayer and of contact with other non-Christian friends. I mean, if you're never around non-Christian people, you lose a vision of how necessary saving faith is. I mean, when you're around nasty people, you look at them and you say, you need Jesus, right? You, that's, that's the first thought that comes to my mind. You need Jesus. If you had Jesus, you wouldn't act the way you're acting. And when you see that, you should be saying to yourself, oh, I am the conduit, perhaps, through which the Holy Spirit wants to bring them Jesus. I remember, you're reminded about how valuable your salvation is and how valuable salvation could be to them. Because then the Spirit would begin his transforming work in them and their whole lives and all their circles of influences would be transformed. So it may be you need to contemplate some new non-Christian friends just so you can remember how badly folks need Jesus. And last of all, I would say this. Recognize that following Christ will always have a cost to it. There's always a cost required. We have to fulfill that. We have to be prepared to pay it. So when the Spirit tells us to speak, we must speak. But don't be afraid to speak because what the passages have just told us is that we will receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes into us. We will receive the power to do exactly what he calls us to do. And it's not an inconsequential power. It is the power of God in us. Don't diminish the Holy Spirit to anything less than God, right? God takes up residence in the heart of his children through the Holy Spirit. I've given you an envelope. And over the next few minutes, the first thing I'd like you to do on the front of the envelope is put your name and mailing address. Would you do this? As if you were sending yourself a letter. Put your name and mailing address on the front of the envelope. And then once you've done that, take out the pledge card that's on the inside. The pledge card reads, well, you might recognize these topics. These are the topics of the last four sermons you've heard here. 
in the coming year, I will tend my spiritual life by, I don't know, what's the Spirit inviting you to do to give attention to the cultivating of a spiritual life in you? Don't know what it is. And I'm not saying you need to put everything on all, put something on all four lines. It may be that there's just one of these lines that is of interest to you, that you hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to you. The second was, I will work to bind the fellowship together by, by what? This Christian life is designed to be lived in unity with Christian brothers and sisters. And it may very well be that the person that the Holy Spirit puts in your pathway for salvation is best spoken to by a different person in the fellowship. And that the Spirit invites you to get that person and this person together so you have coffee together and, and someone else is enabled to speak to the person that's in your pathway. I, I don't know. But I know that this Christian experience is a family experience. And so we are charged to work together to build this family up. The third piece is the remembrance to practice kindness to everyone. If you've been thinking about the people you have found it difficult to be kind to all week, you might just write, I will remember to practice kindness to all by practicing kindness to and the name of the person. The fourth one is, I will attempt to advance the kingdom of God by what will you do to be a witness to Christ. You know, primarily, it's allowing the Spirit to work through you. It's allowing the Spirit to do His work through you. It's about sacrificing your agenda, your thoughts about what is best, and opening yourself up to the Spirit of God to do all that He calls you to do. And what I'd like you to do, once you have that filled out, Put your name there, stick it in the red envelope, and seal it. Seal it. And when that's done, on the way out today, slide it in the boxes at the entry doors. Put it in there. Put it in there. And then begin to practice what you've pledged to do. I'm going to ask the instrumentalists to come back at this time. We're going to uh, sing a song in closing after I pray. And then once, once the band has begun to play, we are going to start moving towards the outside. And we will finish the service out front around the Centennial Altar. If you haven't noticed the Centennial Altar before, it's a little bit on this side of the garden, right at the front of the church. It's stone, it's about this wide and about this high. And just gather around, feel free to step into the street so we all can get close enough to hear. I'll speak as loudly as I can, but I have just a few comments to say. We'll sing a song and we will uh, consecrate our prayer request to the Lord once more. So would you stand with me as I pray and then we'll sing. Father, we need your power in us. We need to be baptized again by your Holy Spirit. We need to be folks who are so excited about the work of God among us that we just can't help but talk about all that you've done and all that you mean to us. 
Put that power in us again that we might be effective as we seek to carry out the mission you have assigned to us. And Lord, help us to glorify you now and always. Amen.